Amen. Turn your Bibles, please, to the book of John, chapter 6. It's a passage that I've preached from a number of times. There's so many great truths in this passage. Now, tonight, very important time together. I, most everybody I know has a time or two when you have some kind of giant in your life that uh, is giving you trouble, giving you fits. And uh, we're going to learn some lessons from giants tonight and how they were dealt with. Uh, in the scripture, and I believe it'll be a help to a number of lives tonight if you'll be back for that. Now, I want you to notice here in John chapter 6, notice beginning in verse 60. John chapter 6 and verse 60. Many, therefore, of his disciples, when they had heard this, said, This is an hard saying. Who can hear it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, Doth this offend you? What and if ye shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? It is the Spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. Now, remember at this time, Jesus might have had 120 that followed him around that would have been called disciples. He sends out 120 uh, to do a work at one time. And I'm going to read some more here in just a little bit. But I get to looking at this, and Jesus makes it very plain that not all of them there belong to him. You realize, look around the, con the uh, congregation today, and I don't have any particular people in mind. But, uh, you know, if you don't belong to him, he knows it. And we shouldn't be naive. Remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul says to the Corinthians, how say some of you, talking about the church of God at Corinth, there were some people in the church who were saying that there is no resurrection. I remember hearing Tom Malone many, many years ago make this statement to a group of preachers. He said, preachers, I've been preaching at Emmanuel Baptist Church up there in Pontiac, Michigan. He said, I've been preaching there for 38 years. And let me tell you something. If we knew what some of our people believe, we'd quit the ministry. Now, when you think of the church at Corinth, that's a church that Paul himself started. The whole gospel message, you've got to have a resurrection or you have no Savior. You have no forgiveness of sin. There were people in the church that said there is no resurrection. How say some of you? How did, Man, I'd be scared to death to find out what some people who are known as members of Madison Baptist Church say when they're not at church. Let's go on. There are some of you that believe not, for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. And he said, Therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my Father. From that time many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life, and we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. Why do men say no to Jesus? Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus, and I beg you again this morning for the filling of the Holy Ghost of God. I pray, Lord, you'd take the word of God. 
do a work in every heart for those that are not saved, never truly been born again. They might be church members. They might have been baptized or whatever, but they've never truly been born again. Convict them of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Turn their heart to you today, I pray. And I pray for believers today as well that we would consider the claims that you have made upon our lives and our responsibility to be faithful to you in this very transient generation, a generation that is so hedonistic and narcissistic. Dear God, please, may we not be like that. Convict us, bring revival to our hearts, I pray. In Jesus' name I ask it, amen. So why would anyone say no to the Son of God and leave the Son of God? Why would anyone say no to the gift of God, which is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord? There is not anything upon this earth worth as much as this gift of eternal life that is only found in Jesus Christ. Scripture says, what is a man advantaged if he gained the whole world and lose his own soul? And yet many people say no to Jesus Christ and his gift of salvation. Why would men say no to the one who went to the cross of Christ and paid their sin debt? Went through the horrible agonies of being crucified for them so that they could have eternal life. Why would they say no to such a wonderful Savior? Why would men say no to the one who took their judgment of sin in his own body on the tree, for the Bible says to his own self, bear our sin in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live under righteousness by whose stripes you're healed. Why would anyone turn away from Jesus, who is eternal life, according to 1 John chapter 5 and verse 20? How could anyone see the cross of Christ in the Bible and say, I don't want him? I mean, really, this is absolutely amazing. If you know anything about him, if you know who he is and you understand what he did, why on earth would you say, no, I don't want him? Why do men say no intentionally to the only possible way of escape from hell? When they could have eternal life by simply coming to him. You know, it's one thing if they're ignorant of the penalty of their sin. It's one thing if they've not heard of the Son of God, and yet according to Romans chapter 1, even they are without excuse because there is a testimony of God's creation. But once they know, why would anyone intentionally say no to the hand of rescue that God has extended toward them through His Son, Jesus Christ? And yet most all of the offspring of mankind has already said, no. That's amazing. I mean, there's a whole lot more lost people in this world today than there are saved people. After all, broad is the way that leads to destruction. Narrow is the way that leads to life everlasting because there is only one way. And Jesus said, I'm it. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You realize you can be a member of Madison Baptist Church and die and go to hell. 
Because church membership in any church, and name the denomination, I don't care, that membership will not take you to heaven. You must have personally have Jesus Christ as your Savior. There are multitudes of people in hell right now, and there are more going. And once they are there, there is absolutely no escape. Isaiah 5, 14 prophesies, Therefore hell hath enlarged herself and opened her mouth without measure, and their glory and their multitude and their pomp, and he that rejoices shall descend into it. So why would any man, woman, boy, or girl say no to Christ? Only to receive the torments of the damned throughout all eternity. Now, it's interesting, we're in the time of year where the world go nuts, goes nuts over Hollywood's Halloween. And, oh, people love to go to the movies and they love to be scared. And yet every bit of that is fake. Every bit of that is phony. But there is a real hell that everybody goes to that doesn't have Jesus Christ as their Savior. And the Bible says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It's why he put his son on the cross of Calvary. Now, I was meditating upon that very thought. Here, some people who had been following Jesus, they had been listening to him preach. They had seen him. They had seen the miracles which he had done. As a matter of fact, just before this, in the first part of John chapter 6, he had fed the 5,000 with just a few loaves and fishes. What an amazing miracle that had been done. Everything about him screamed, this is the Messiah. This is the Son of God. This is God's anointed one, the only one through which you can have salvation. These people, having seen the things that he did, heard the things that he taught. Now he's just spoken some really difficult things for a lot of people. And they left him. From that time, many of his disciples left him. That's an amazing statement. Let me see if I can give you a couple reasons I believe that happened. Number one, they say no to Jesus because he isn't what they expected him to be. I am convinced that most people have a false view of Jesus Christ. I have a message that I preach called, What Would Jesus Really Do? And that's in response. There was a book in his steps many years ago that uh, I don't even know the guy that wrote it or know his name. But the basic idea was this. If you are faced with some kind of problem or trial that you've got to make some decisions, ask yourself, what would Jesus do? And then do what Jesus would do, and that'd be okay. But the reality is most people don't know what Jesus would do. Now, the answers to that is very, very plain. Just get in the Bible, find out what he did. Because whatever he did is what he would do today. For the Bible says Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. He hasn't changed. And I have found when you look at the things that Jesus did, there are an awful lot of religious people that don't like the picture. They don't realize, like he went out of his way to win the lost. I mean, if you're going to do what Jesus would do, you'd go out of your way to win the lost. Not only that, you'd tell people about their sin. He did that with the woman at the well. 
He said, you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not that thine husband. And then she started talking about her spirituality and he said, you, you know not what you worship. He said, God is a spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And he told them, you don't know what you worship. You worship in vain. Man, that's pretty straight when you call the person's false religion exactly what it is. That tends to make people very angry with you. He'd rebuke his disciples when they were wrong. Boy, he even rebuked Peter. I mean, he rebuked Peter. He rebuked the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and he did all that very sternly. That's Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus, I don't find any place where he compromised. It's interesting how the religious world is calling on us who are Bible believers to compromise. Don't take such a hard stand. Find me any place Jesus compromised. He always stood for the truth of God's word. I'm just simply saying there are an awful lot of Christian people, quote unquote, and I say that in the broadest sense, who really don't like the Jesus of the Bible They've got one they've made up in their own mind. And when they're confronted with the true Jesus, they say no to him. As it says here, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. You see, mankind wants him to be someone that they can call on when they're in times of need and trouble, but someone who doesn't put any obligations on them later. It's their life. They want to do what they want to do. And they don't want God or Jesus to get involved and oversee anything that they want. But he's God. You understand all this creation is not for us. Everything that was created is for his pleasure, not ours. Life's not about us. It's about him. In verse 68, Peter says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. He said, To whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. He understood. Hey, this is the Messiah. You're the only one. Why would we leave? We know you. We know who you are. Too many are the center of their own universe. Life is all about them. But these people didn't like what he had to say. So they're leaving. Oh, you see that in church all the time. Oh, people are fine with religion until, of course, they start getting some demands made upon their life or something is said that goes against the popular message of the day and then they're quick to run off to find something else. If it happened to Jesus, it will happen to us. Jesus said, remember the word that I've spoken unto you. If they have persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours. Jesus told the Jews in John chapter 8 and verse 24, ye shall die in your sins. For except ye believe that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. Yeah, they didn't like that. By the way, later, by the way, in that same chapter... He told these religious leaders, you're of your father the devil and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth for there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own for he is a liar and the father of it. Now you wonder why they wanted to put him to death? These very religious people, Jesus said, you're of your father the devil. 
By the way, the only way you get God as your father is to be born into his family. And that takes a second birth. The physical birth doesn't put you into his family. You need the new birth he talks about in John chapter 3. Now, the truth is, when you come to him, you are accepting him as the only way to heaven. As he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus made it plain. He didn't say, yeah, there's goods in all religion. And so from any of them, you can go to He said, no, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. I'm it. Peter said, neither is there salvation in any other, for there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. He's it. You know, there's a vast difference between a social God and a sovereign God. There is a vast difference in the God of the flesh and the God of heaven. There's a tremendous difference in the God of self and the God of the cross. In Romans 14, 12, he declares, So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. No one's going to be able to stand before God and say, But God, I saw hypocrites in the church. God knows every hypocrite in every place. He knows who they are. You know, I've seen hypocrites in every place in my lifetime. Before I got saved, we saw hypocrites in a lot of places. Since I've been saved, yes, I've seen some hypocrites in church too. But Jesus isn't one of them. And we worship him. The church is his body. And it is his bride. And that is enough for me. Hallelujah. Politicians like to use references to Christ in the Bible during their campaign. And then when they get elected, they live like he's not listening anymore. So they say no to him because he isn't what they expected him to be. Number two, they say no to him because they're afraid to trust their life to him. Well, if I get saved, and a lot of people start weighing out, could it cost me something? And unless it's going to mean some benefit to me, well, knowing him gets you heaven. What else do you need? I mean, as I get older, I discover that life is really short. Now, I have something I quite often do now. I used to say, when people said, how are you doing today? And I'd say, rejoicing in the Lord. I got that from Grant Rice. Now I say, I'm old, fat, and ugly. <laughs> and every day it gets worse. I get older, fatter, and uglier. How about that? It's not going to get any better until I get to glory. Amen. Then you'll have to put up with me. Amen. We live in a day when humanity trusts no one but itself. Humanism seems to be at the core of everything. It's all about us. No, it's about him. Jesus said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. and Ye shall find rest unto your souls. The heavenly Lamb of God still stands strong and capable of caring for you. As he says in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 6, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. He loved me enough to die for me. I think I can trust him with my eternity. And I can trust him with my present life too. He's promised to never leave us or forsake us. What a wonderful Savior that we have. John 6, 37, Jesus proclaimed, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and he that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. Do you realize there's not a person here that Jesus would reject if you came to him? 
Doesn't make a difference where you're from. Doesn't make a difference what you've done in life. You come to Jesus and he'll take you. What a wonderful Savior is Jesus our Lord. You have all of the assurance of heaven and of God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, that Christ can and will take care of you in every area of life. But let me give you a third reason why people say no to him. They say no to him because they do not like the condition. Now, you say, what do you mean they don't like the condition? I mean, the Bible says that for by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You can't do anything to earn it. That's the condition. I mean, man doesn't like it, that Jesus requires man to repent. Don't be scared of the word repent. It's a good Bible word. Jesus used it. Luke chapter 15 and verses 3, not Luke chapter 15, Luke chapter 13 and verses 3 and 5. Except you repent, you shall likewise perish. Matter of fact, in Acts chapter 17, verse 30, the Bible says, In the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. I suppose Paul was a legalist. That's a pretty plain statement. He commanded all men everywhere to repent. You say, well, preacher, what is that about? Don't misunderstand. You can do nothing, nothing to gain or earn salvation. There's nothing that you can pay. There's nothing you can give. There's nothing you can change except what you believe. Now, I want you to get this. A man must see him himself as a hopeless, wicked, vile sinner before a holy God. He must see himself as so vile that he understands there is absolutely nothing good about me. I, I, turning over a new leaf doesn't take you to heaven. You've got to see yourself as a sinner completely deserving hell. And if you're trusting anything, your church membership, if you're trusting your life, uh, changing your life to be a good person, then you're going to die lost. You've got to, as a sinner, lost sinner, hopeless sinner, simply come to Jesus Christ and put all your trust in him. In Acts 2.38, well, in verse 37, a bunch of the Jews that Peter was preaching to on the day of Pentecost, they said to him, men and brethren, what? Must we do? Peter answered him. He said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, wait a second. If you read the passage, what was he just preaching on? He was preaching how they had rejected the Son of God. When he came, they had rejected the Son of God and put him to death. Well, if you repent of that, then what are you doing? You're trusting the Son of God. You're receiving the Son of God. Repentance from rejecting Christ is receiving Christ as your personal Savior. And that's what 3,000 of them did on that day. They stopped trusting in themselves. I used to think, before I got saved, I used to think that I was a pretty good guy, that one day when I died, I'd stand before the God of heaven and there'd be this big scale in heaven. I don't know where I ever got that. 
Where do you come up with stuff? Some of the stuff, you people who've been saved for quite a while, you look back at the things you believed before you got saved, you ever wonder, where'd you come up with that stuff? But anyway, I thought, here's this big scale. And on one side of the scale, God took, would take all my good works and he'd put them on one side of the scale. And on the other side of the scale, he'd take all my, my bad works and put them on the other side of the scale. But I was a pretty good guy. So I figured the good would outweigh the bad and God would have to let me into heaven. Not a big scale in the sky. And by the way, none of us have any good works to put on this side of the scale. None of us. You see, the Bible says they that are in the flesh cannot please God. There's not anything I can do in this flesh to please God to get me one square inch of heaven. Bible declares all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. I was trusting in a bunch of filthy rags that couldn't please God to get me to heaven. So in 1971, I saw myself as that hopeless sinner on my way to hell. And I put my trust in Jesus Christ alone to save me. I turned from trusting me to trusting him. Now, there are some people, they trust religion to get them to heaven. But the Bible doesn't say uh, that religion is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but through religion. Scripture says, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. It's not receiving Christianity. It's receiving Christ. But as many as received him, not it, as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. You've got to stop trusting whatever you're trusting and just trust Jesus Christ. So he says in John chapter 3 and verse 18, he that believeth on him is not condemned. He that believeth not is condemned already. Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. When Jesus was describing to the Pharisee Nicodemus about salvation, he goes all the way back to the book of Numbers. And he says in verse 14 of John chapter 3, he says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. You see, those people back in the book of Numbers, they had complained about the man and a number of things, and God sent snakes down, and it killed many of the people. They were being bitten by the snakes and dying. And so a, a, a snake was put upon a pole, and Aaron took it out between the living and the dead, the Scripture says. All people had to do was look at that snake on the pole, and they'd have life. That's all they had to do. This had to look at the snake on the pole. That's all they had to do. They could say, I'm going to stop complaining. They'd have died. They had to look at the pole. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. You see, people say no because they don't like the condition. They don't want to see themselves as that bad of a sinner. 
but they are. God doesn't save people who are little bitty sinners. He saves sinners. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And the apostle Paul said, of whom I am chief. That's the right attitude. That's what gets a person saved. But there's something else then that he requires for saved people. Not not to go to heaven, but once you get saved, do you realize he wants you to live for him? Because one thing takes place when you get saved. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. When a person really gets born again, he gives them an extreme makeover. I figure some of you ladies would appreciate that. And ex- <laughs> I mean, he changes you completely. You have a good description of that in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse 9, when he says, Know ye not the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says, and such were, past tense, were some of you, but you're washed, you're sanctified, you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. That's the change that he makes. It's not a change you make. It's a change he makes when he saves you and the Holy Spirit of God comes to live within you. In Matthew chapter 16 and verse 24... Jesus said, then said Jesus unto his disciples, if any man will follow me or will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Deny self. We live in a day where we're told to get as much as you can. And boy, the goal of a lot of people, I got to have more money, got to have more things, got to have more toys. I mean, we are living like it's the one who has the most toys that wins when death comes. But that's not the way it is. Someone has said only one life will soon be passed and only what's done for Christ will last. That's why Paul writes in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Deny yourself. You don't have to be a TikTok star. You don't have to be the darling of Instagram. You don't have to be a billionaire. As a matter of fact, most of those people are so hedonistic and narcissistic that they're really no good to anybody but whoever their financial manager is. Their financial managers or agents and their lawyers are going to make most of their money. But that's not what life's about. And they seem to put out a bunch of kids that are so lost, they don't know which end is up. They don't know what to live for. And so they're willing to take guns and go out and kill people in this very civilized day in which we live. He says, let him deny himself and take up his cross. The thing about cross-bearing is that it is voluntary. He says, if any man will. It is continuous, he says, daily. 
Cross-bearing is absolutely necessary to discipleship. Whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. He's not talking about going to heaven now. He's talking about being a disciple. Everyone that trusts Christ as Savior is saved and going to heaven. But not everyone who's saved is a disciple. And that's sad. We ought to desire to be followers of Christ. I can't think of a better way to spend spend one's life. And then he says, and follow me. Will there be those here today that will step out and say, you know, I'm going to live for Jesus. I'm going to live for Jesus now for the rest of my life. I'm going to be faithful to him. I'm just going to live for him. I'm going to serve him in any area that he'll allow me to serve him. I'm going to be faithful to the house of God. I'm going to be faithful to reaching others with the gospel of Christ. I want my life. You say, preacher, that'd take time. Well, if you're not willing to give him time, you're not a disciple. You may be saved. You may be going to heaven. But you are far cry from being a disciple if all you can think about is what you can get for yourself. Philippians 3, 7, and 8, Paul said, What things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. I've told you this story before, and I'm going to tell it again because I like to tell it. And I'm the one preaching, so I get to decide. My wife and I got saved, as most all of you know, that uh, we didn't have church backgrounds at all. And we got saved. We fell in love with Jesus right away. And we were faithful to the house of God. We started going soul winning. And I, I worked in the bus ministry, faithful to the local church. I read my Bible every day. And man, just growing. Two and a half years later, God called me to preach. And that meant we were going to have to sell our house. And uh, go on down to Bible college because I needed to learn a lot of Bible. I didn't know much Bible uh, even after my first year and a half of being saved. I'd been reading a lot of it. I'd started memorizing scripture, but boy, I'll tell you, I was just so Bible ignorant when I got started in all this. But something happened within our families because now my wife and I were saved, but our parents weren't. And really, since they were drinkers and cussers and went places that I wouldn't go to as a safe person, they felt uncomfortable around us. And I understand that. They were afraid that being around us, they might say something where a cuss word just slips out and they'd be embarrassed and they were afraid we'd be embarrassed and all that. Well, I went off, we went off Tennessee Temple College where I was trying to get my college degree at that time. And my dad came down. Uh, he and his second wife, and uh, they visited with us for a couple days. Now, my dad, by the way, never heard me preach before he died. If he came down to see us, he'd come down like on a Sunday night and arrive sometime after church and leave before church on Wednesday. Uh, never heard me preach. And I'd witnessed to my dad a few times, and that Wednesday they were getting ready to leave. We were eating supper sitting in the living room, and I said to uh, my dad, Dad, let me ask you again. Do you know if you died today that you'd go to heaven? And he said, no. I said, well, Dad, you know, you need to get this matter settled. And I began to witness to him about his need for Christ. I went through the whole gospel account. He didn't say a word. And I said, Dad, wouldn't you like to trust Christ as your Savior today? 
He didn't say anything. He finally just spoke up and said to his wife, said, let's go. So they got in the car and left. Well, it was a Wednesday, and I was pastoring at that time Pinewood Baptist Church over in North Chattanooga, just across the Tennessee River there, Chattanooga. And uh, so we got in the car to go over there. We only had Kathy at that time. She was seated in the back seat. And we're driving. Jan and I were thinking the same thing. We weren't talking about it. Both of us felt bad that we couldn't have a good, close relationship with our parents and other family members. I mean, I was the first out of the Allison family to get saved. I thank God I've got a brother that's saved now, and I've got a sister that's saved, and I was able to win my mom to Christ. But that was later. And so we're going across the, we're going across the bridge, and both of us are just... We're just feeling yuck. We just miss not being able to talk about the one we love the most with our family and it be appreciated. And my daughter, Kathy, who was seated in the back seat, she just started singing. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. I started weeping, and I know my wife started weeping as well because that's the decision we had made. That's it. But being a little girl, she didn't stop singing. Though no one join me, still I will follow. Though no one join me, still I will follow. Though no one join me, still I will follow. No turning back, no turning back. I want you to know I love my kids. But if they go the other way, I'm not turning back on Jesus. Once you understand, I made a decision a long time ago. I decided to follow Jesus. And if no one joins us, I'm not going to change in following Jesus. He made such a difference in our lives. Man, he went to the cross for us. He loved us. And I realize God gives everyone a free will, but no turning back. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. Dear God, please deal with hearts today. You know everyone here. You know who's been born again, and you know who hasn't. Lord, I pray today that there'd be someone that would turn to Jesus and be saved. May they make that decision today to come to the Son of God. May they understand being in church doesn't save them. Being a Baptist or Methodist or Nazarene or Catholic or anything else doesn't save them. They must have Jesus Christ. May they come to him today, I pray. And then, Lord, for believers today, I pray we'd consider whether or not We have truly decided to take that next step. All right, we've trusted Christ. We're going to heaven. That's settled. Now are we going to make our lives count for the one who loved us to die for us at Calvary? Lord, have your way in every heart and life, I pray in Jesus' name.